Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever and wherever it is that you're listening to us, we want to thank you in advance. We as fans have always appreciated your input as fellow fans. When you're happy, we're happy. When you're upset, we are too, but sometimes we're just a little bit more honest. We are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. You can find us on Twitter or X at Bastards underscore Boston. I am your host, Charlie Smith, coming to you from Los Angeles, California. You can find me on Twitter or X at Smith underscore MLB. Our other hosts for this episode are Terry Cushman, coming to us all the way from Myrtle Beach in South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine, and Cody Paulson, coming to us from Houston, Texas by way of Ponte Vedra, Florida. Cody, how are you doing and where can the fans find you on X slash Twitter? Hey everybody, doing well. Happy to be on here to talk some socks. Uh, everybody can find me on Twitter slash X at the Cody Paulson. How are you guys doing tonight? Uh, no complaints, but better than the Red Sox are, I think, currently. Terry, how are you doing? And where can the fans find you on Twitter slash X? I am doing excellent as always. I can be found at Cushman MLB. And speaking of my Twitter account, there's. Tell us. Been some of uh, my prominent haters uh, on Twitter, and it's a it's a large community, and they have decided to do a worst Twitter account tournament. And I am there's 32 people in it, and I'm the number one seed. So not going to mention any names because we don't give them any glory here, but. Um, but yeah, so I'm excited and unlike to their chagrin, I'm trying to win. I want to win. So I'm actually going to get people to vote for me. I want to be the most, I want to be the last man standing. I have to beat Pete Abe, Dan Shaughnessy, so many very unliked people that are in the tournament. So Terry, just for, for clarity, since we're not going to mention other people's names, where are Cody... And Micah and Jason and I on that list of 32. You're not on there. Well, the Bastards right. account was added. So I guess you're on there in that respect. Yeah, it's a that feels like a posthumous award, like given to us after like we died. It doesn't really count. So then you're in there twice and you could, in theory, face yourself. That feels dirty. The Bastards account is on the bottom side of the bracket. And there's a person, again, we're not going to name them, uh, basically created a, a very inappropriate xenophobic tweet and he's got lots of hate for that he's the number two seed so i think that's who who the bastards account faces next craig teed if anybody remembers him he got caught soliciting younger girls basically got canceled off of twitter had to go into hiding people were calling his job that's he's also on the on the bastard side of the bracket. So we'll see. I'll, I'll keep everyone updated. I think round two is tomorrow. So let's see, that's the round of 16 and then you got eight, four, um, and then the final. So that's what maybe towards the end of the week. <laughs> I We're love it. Out. I love playing patty cakes with the haters. I'm curious to see where you end up. I mean, it, I, you can't finish first and secondary, but deep down, you may be number one in there, but you're also number one in our hearts. So we hope that you stay true <laughs> to yourself over there for us. So without further ado, uh, the Red Sox had a three-game series against the Chicago White Sox. We split three to uglies, and we lost the 1-0 game in the middle. As always, we will start with duds before studs, as we did not win the series. Cody, you're well-rested. You're not as hated. Why don't you go first? Uh, I don't know about well rested, but um, Cody's thanks the, for for the warm intro. I suppose. What's he, up there? He's the, he's the safest guy on the podcast. Like, if I needed a press secretary, I'm I'm trotting Cody out in front of everyone. Oh yeah, we'll we'll spin whatever you need there. Pal. <laughs> um, speaking of spinning, right? Uh, the dud that I have for this series was Justin Turner. Uh, just, you know, a very, very uncharacteristic series for him as he's kind of, you know, finding his way towards the end of the season um, you know, as we aimlessly wander our way through the remainder of the schedule. Uh, I believe only one hit for the series, a couple of strikeouts and some strikeouts in some pretty big spots too. Uh, you know, eighth inning, close game, first and second, no outs, strikes out swinging, doesn't even move the runner, which is, you know, as we've said all year, uncharacteristic for him. He's a, a professional hitter, a great approach and you know, maybe that feels bothering him still, or, you know, he's, I don't want to say losing motivation because you don't want to speak on behalf um, of, of players like that, but it's a, 
it's hard to to get up for games when you know that you've been mathematically eliminated. The team's trying to figure out, you know, what players are we trying to retain for next year? And, you know, what are your own individual plans going to be? Uh, so I don't want to bash the guy too much for, for not necessarily having the best series. I know it was some pretty crappy weather as well, but uh, just didn't get it done. Could have had a couple of big hits that might have turned the, the series around that we could have had a different, you know, win total uh, conversation as we look to retroactively, uh, I guess, retrofit our, our predictions for the beginning of the season. But for me, uh, it was Turner for this series. Terry. I don't really have a lot to add about the redheaded stepfather who will be 39 years old in November, by the way. Um, he's like the closest Red Sox player to my age. I'm 40. So Rich Hill uh, was on the team last year and was older than me. So this, I think this might be the first year in in my lifetime where I'm older than, than every single um, you know player on the roster. But uh, again, I mean, he's got a decision coming up. He's got like, a, I think a $13 million player option, roughly. If he triggers that, the Red Sox will have the option of buying him out at $6.5 million. I doubt that'll happen because why Why give him six and a half and then just turn around and and give at least 10 to 12 to whoever his replacement is? And then, you know... It's just counterproductive. So if Turner decides he wants to stay and see what this new era of Red Sox baseball is all about, that will basically guarantee he'll be on the roster next year. And he's your best right-handed bat. I mean, in a perfect world, Trevor Story would become a major threat in the lineup. But, you know, there's... He's got a long way to go. And, and then after that, I mean, you don't really have anybody. Everybody's a lefty. Maybe Raffaella emerges. I mean, who knows? The, the hype is there, but we'll, we'll see if he lives up to it. So um, I guess the final thing I'll say about Turner, probably in the dud section, less than anybody else on the team. Uh, there's no way to really tally it, but. He's uh, he's spent the least amount of time on on that side of it. So it's crazy when you look at at Justin Turner's numbers for the month of September in relation to what he has done and what he has meant to the team. I mean, it's a, a far cry split, literally kind of falling apart for the month of September. But we're also not taking into consideration that he had a, a pretty bad heel injury um, and has been probably dealing with the pain. And at the age of thirty eight, it's probably not healing overnight and it's taking a little bit longer than it would as if say you were Brian Bayo's age. So with over 10 years of difference there, I give him a huge boatload of credit for trying to power through, but it's just not, it's just not working for him right now. And I feel bad. They were kind of talking about maybe shutting him down. We're not playing for anything. Currently, our record sits at 76 and 80. So why why run the risk of injuring him? So it just doesn't make it, it just doesn't make sense. I appreciate everything that he's been able to do for our team. He's put in, statistically speaking, one of the best years of his career. I'm super thankful for what he's been able to do. I hope he does decide to come back, but if he does not, I don't blame him. It seems like the L.A. Dodgers are just bringing all their friends back. Kike's back. Joe Kelly's back. They've had a couple new pieces. And if Justin Turner goes back next year, why not make another run for a World Series title? But uh, ultimately, the decision will lie with with Justin here. Anything else uh, you want to add, Code? No? Uh, Terry, why don't you hit us with your dud in the series? I am going with Robert Vernon Dahlbeck as his Wikipedia page states as his real name, you're still seeing people on social media, please give Bobby Dahlbeck another chance, blah, blah, blah. He could still serve a purpose on this Red Sox team. Yes, his Worcester numbers are are better. He's hitting around 300, lots of pop, but the strikeouts are still prominent, well over 30%. And then in game two, which was Saturday, the game we got blanked one to nothing, 
He had a golden sombrero, four strikeouts. Same old Bobby Dahlbeck. It's nice to see good defense at first and him scooping the balls, but that's that's not good enough. If Casas, heaven forbid, you know, would ever be out for the season with an injury, and then you're you're left with Dahlbeck, your first base is a black hole again, you know, for the rest of the year. So I I don't know. He's got one more option. So Dahlbeck can be kept at Worcester for the entirety of next season if they wanted him to be. And then after that, they'll have to decide whether they're going to elevate him to the big club or DFA him. And I don't know what's going to happen. We I've said on recent shows he could be the, you know, the third or fourth piece of a trade package. But um I just I don't know what the future holds, but it's not going to be in Boston for Dahlbeck. Cody. I think Dahlbeck kind of gets that rare soft spot in Red Sox Nation where, you know, guys are just rooting for him. They're pulling for him. He's, you know, somebody that kind of got caught up in some mismanagement, you know, being brought up, potentially rushed a little bit. Um, The expectations I feel like for him now is just to see him do well and see him be happy just because he has struggled so mightily at the major league level. And even when he was down in the minors, uh, Terry, as mentioned, you know, a lot of home runs, a lot of RBIs hitting at a high average the thing that was still concerning is his K rate was still 30 plus percent, even in, in triple a. And that might just be the type of player that he is. You know, I don't know if he's, he's a guy that needs a change of scenery. Uh, you know, he's got the glasses and that seemed to be doing um, him some benefit, but he's not a long-term solution, which is, which is a real bummer. <clears throat> and, you know, as I think when, when he got called up, when they shot Cassis down for the season, we were hoping that maybe he could prove that, you know, the work that he had been doing at the minor league level would translate. He could become a more valuable trade chip in the offseason just because he is, you know, blocked by Cassis. Heaven forbid, you know, there's there's no injury or, or issues uh, there. But um, it's going to be a lot of the same with Dahlbeck. You know, it's, it's good to see the, de- the defense improve a bit. They can move him around the infield, which they've shown a willingness to do so far. But... Um, I just, I don't know if he's got that big lead bad. And if he does, it's, it's not, it's not going to be with the Red Sox, which is a bummer. Bobby Dahlbeck is complicated. He's like that ex-girlfriend that kind of won't go away. And he's never going to get an opportunity with the Red Sox. This is someone who has 18 strikeouts and 33 at-bats. That's over 50%. If you take away the Texas series where he went five for 11 and had that home run in the last game and had a pair of extra base hits, Bobby D is four for 22 with no extra base hits, no home runs, no RBIs and 13 strikeouts and 22 at bats. 60% of his at bats are strikeouts. This is a very classic case of someone that can hit triple a can do everything he wants against not real pitching but when it comes to real pitching, it's just – it's maybe, hopefully, shot in the dark, boom, or more than likely almost expected to be bust. 0 for 4 with four strikeouts in this series, 1 for 7, four strikeouts. If I never see him again wearing a Boston Red Sox uniform, totally okay. I'm sorry that it didn't work out for him, but truth be told, if you're trying to trade Bobby Dahlbeck as a part of some package – The kid is 28 years old outside of 2021 where he had 25 home runs. And we thought maybe this is the year the guy has put up less than 25 home runs, less than 60 RBIs. The guy is not really a stolen basis threat and can't hit. So truth be told, I think there is no surprise. There is really, I don't think anything that anybody's going to try to do. You know what? send them to Los Angeles and maybe they can do something with them because the Dodgers seem to be able to do everything with the broken toys that we have in Boston. It's just not happening here. Yeah. T just a reminder. He's two years older than Rafi Devers. Who's already established as a future hall of famer. Well on his way to being a hall of famer. And that that's just how, how bad Dahlbeck has been. And I hate ragging on the guy because everybody likes Bobby Dahlbeck. He's a great personality. 
he's taken a lot of abuse on, you know, from people on podcasts, people on social media, perhaps the beat writers. Um, and he's taken it, you know, Duran cries, you know, once a year about, about that. And I'm a Duran guy. Don't get me wrong. And I, I hope Duran is with us for a long time, but, but Dahlbeck takes everything and just goes with it. And, and you love that, but seeing Casas emerge and own that strike zone and have really good pitch recognition, man, we're, we're very fortunate that, that he did emerge and, and establish all of that. So, um, we'll see. I mean, some people think Dahlbeck can go to Colorado and just be an attraction essentially in that high altitude. But I don't think his career is long. I'd love to see him in maybe Red Sox media in the future. Uh, you know, I mean, they say that some of those guys that do well in the media are just players that just couldn't hack it. But we'll leave it there. My dud for this series, unfortunately, and it, it pains me when I have to talk about some of my favorite players, but we keep it real. We call it like it is. And when it's not going well, you're going to hear it. And Rafa Devers is just not getting it done. In this series, two for 10, just a pair of singles, a couple of strikeouts, no extra base hits. And I'm I'm really curious to know, like, what is the plan with Devers for this offseason? I really, really hope that we spend a lot of time with fielding and trying to hit the ball to different places because outside of the home run ball, I don't think he's hit a double, I think, in like two weeks. It's been a really, really long time. So it's pray for home run, the very, very uncommon stolen base for him, or singles. Otherwise, it's just zero. And, you know, we're going to be getting someone who hits about 35 homers, 100 RBIs. But, man, oh, man, for the amount of money that we're given, you really want to see something more like 4120. 300 batting average, pretty, pretty darn good elite defense over at third base. And we're just not seeing it. Luckily, no errors in this series, but, you know, it's been it's been really hard. It's been really, really hard. And I'm really hoping that he can kind of turn the page and kind of bring a page back from what he did last year. The batting average is close to 300. The strikeout numbers were not as high as they were this year. Granted, we're still not done with the complete season, but I'm a little bit concerned. Uh, it, it sucks when your, your, your guy, your main guy is just not getting, not getting the table turned and table set for the rest of the, for the team to kind of start rolling for lack of a better term. Cody. It was something that I noticed with Devers at the beginning of the season. Um, and in the very first game, he came up, I think there was like a guy on first and second or something like that. And and the typical Devers approach is, you know, to swing dead red, look for something straight and try to hammer it. And he he hit a single, I think, like into the gap and it just moved the runners over. And I was really excited because as great of a hitter as Devers is and, you know, hopefully continues to be. His approach sometimes tends to get a little big. He tries to hit that knockout punch, um, you know, early and often and as frequently as possible. And for me to see his approach get a little bit smaller, I think would do him a lot better and allow him to be closer to that 300 batting average type player that we've seen from him and that we know that he can be. Uh, you know, I wonder with the construction of this roster or the way that this lineup was, I guess, built um, at this time, if he felt like he had to be the guy that hit a home run every time, he wasn't going to have anybody behind him to pick him up. You know, we've obviously seen Yoshida and Turner and Duvall at times. There have been players that kind of rotationally have picked him up, but there was no no consistent protection in in that lineup. Um, it is a down series, sure. Um, I'm starting to be a little bit more concerned about this offense as a whole. You know, um, the pitching recently you know albeit from that one one uh one game in texas has been pretty good you know as as bad as they've been as injured as this rotation and bullpen have been they've kept the team in games recently and it's, it's kind of been on the lineup to to not have scored enough runs or not to put up any crooked numbers to kind of help play complimentary baseball and i think devers is a big part of that you know we've we've often said 
uh, this lineup goes as Devers goes. And, you know, when he's going well, you know, it seems like the hits are contagious. But um, I don't know if it was just a bad weather weekend or, or what's going on, but it'll it'll be really interesting to see what the offseason program is for him. Is he going to go to Trevor Story's, you know, shortstop defensive uh, school or, or whatnot that they're, they're trying to get going? Because, um, you know, I think last year we were really relieved when a ground ball went to third. We didn't have to worry about it. And, and here we are again now. Uh, I know he didn't have any errors in this in this series, but ground balls at third base aren't aren't as sure as they used to be, and then that that's pretty concerning considering he does play the hot corner. T. It, it's interesting because throughout his career leading up to this year, he had JD Martinez in his ear, and you would see Devers at the plate in between pitches taking a deep breath with his eyes closed. That was a JD Martinez thing that he did and, and he got Devers to do it. And I think that was more to, to relax Devers and, and help him focus on the next pitch. And then you figure Xander Bogart standing several feet to Devers left was an influence on him, you know, and a kind of a senior voice. And perhaps there was either, even one or two other players on the team who basically had a similar role with Devers. Well, now he is the guy. There's nobody, there's nobody to keep him in line. There's nobody to rein in his focus. There's nobody to, to light a fire under him. He's the guy. I mean, maybe Justin Turner can do it, but he's not... Turner doesn't strike me as the stern leader. He's he's more of the emotional support guy for the younger kids. And, and I could be wrong about that, but those are those are that's just my impression of of what might be going on. And so hopefully he figures it out. Ho- hopefully hopefully he shows up. I mean, he hasn't had a terrible year. If you look at the categories, the home runs are okay. The runs batted in are okay. Um, maybe you'd like to see the average come up a little bit and, and maybe a couple more walks here and there. But all of his numbers across the board are okay. He hasn't flopped now that he's got his money. So I'm, I'm not trying to say that, but I just hope he, you know, he understands his role and he's able to kind of lead by example. Uh, you know, whether it's defensively in the batter's box, in the dugout. And because this is it, there's nobody else. There's never going to be an older guy on the team that's going to, you know, that's going to say, hey, man, you know, let's let's step it up. He's going to be the guy pumping up Casas, pumping up Rafaela, pumping up Duran, Abreu, and, 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 and not that much longer, probably Marcelo Meyer. So... I I would just like to see, uh, you know, hopefully in 2024, uh, just a more robust year all across the board and, you know, with his attitude as well. What do you think? Do you think that another coach or do you think bringing in somebody that he has gotten along with in the past or even somebody from home up here to kind of guide him in the right direction would be beneficial for him? Or do we think it's literally just... It's in his head. He needs to figure it out, and that's it. Like, what? what is the holdup with someone that has so much talent? Is it overthinking it? Is it, is, it, is it not being focused? Is it not feeling supported? Or is it like a combination of everything? It's I don't know. Mostly focus for me, but Cody has some thoughts. Yeah, see. I think the guy's just pressing, right? Um, you know, we noticed that swing can get big, that swing can get long. Um, you know, he swings over the top on some balls um, because with with there not really being another voice in the room, right, he's kind of had to step up and be that leader of this team, of that organization, especially on the offensive side of the ball. You know, he's one of the more, I think, longer tenured Red Sox players at this point, um, especially ones with proven success here in Boston for that matter. And, with that being said, I think, you know, he, I don't know if he necessarily was prepared to take on that role of leadership, right? He's always had 
um, you know, a Xander or a JD or, you know, somebody else to kind of shoulder that load and to be that voice in the clubhouse. And now, you know, now it's Rafi. And, you know, whenever we look at Rafi, we see uh, a childish jubilance or, you know, just energy, right? And that might not necessarily be the type of guy that's a, that's a vocal leader in the clubhouse. And, you know, he might just be the one that tries to, to, to lead by example. And he's trying to figure figure that out while also trying to figure out how to navigate forward and probably, you know, one of the more chaotic uh, eras of Boston baseball. So um, I would just like to think it takes time, you know, it just takes a little bit more experience or exposure to the role. And I think he's going to be fine with it because he has proven to, to be able to adapt and, you know, to make the necessary changes. Cause you guys said he's uber talented. And if it just becomes the type of player where, you know, he needs to lead by example and not necessarily uh, vocally, uh, you know, I, I think that's well within his uh, capabilities as well. So is there a, an approach more perfect than Justin Turner's? Not on our team. I not right e- now. I don't even think in Major League Baseball, really. Like Justin Turner comes up to the plate and he knows what his job is every time. And he's also been in the league. He's 38 years old. He's been in this league for over 10 years in relation to someone who's never been tasked with the the difference between Justin Turner and Devers, though. Devers knows he has to be the biggest hitter on the team. I have to hit home runs. I have to do everything perfect. I have to do that. Turner is okay. Right now, I got a runner at second. There's a one out here or there's two outs here. I've got to hit it here. Power is not part of the question. It's where do I hit the ball? So like I've given, I've given my girlfriend's dad plenty of credit for, for, for calling out Turner for being a professional hitter. And that's what he is. The guy knows what his job is to your point. As far as other players in major league baseball, how many other players have been in Justin Turner's shoes? I mean, most of them have pretty much since retired, right? So not having somebody like Turner on the team, I think, to help coach. Because I feel like what he needs is having a Justin Turner in his ear. Like, okay, cool. When I played third base, this is what I did. This is what will help. Take a beat. I, I think that's all he needs to hear is those words. Take a beat. Stop trying to be a superhero. And just slow it down. You know, like Cody said, he's pressing. So- Turner's never been... Oh, sorry. All I was going to say, just wrap up, was Turner's never been tasked with, we need you to be the banger and hit 40 home runs and 120 RBIs. That's never been his role, ever. Sorry, you go. Yeah, and I mean, Turner's used to having, you know, one or two Hall of Famers around him, you know, previously with the Dodgers. And what I was getting at is when Turner comes up, you know, it depends on where the base runners are. If there's one or two in scoring position, how many outs are there? And he just knows exactly what to do. And he does exactly what he has to do every time. Just a a blue base hit to the outfield, you know, whether it's, you know, left field or opposite field uh, to right. He just gets it done. And, you know, when he can go up there and afford to take a a hefty swing and, and possibly send it out of the ballpark, that's what he does. That's that's what I want from Devers. I want. I want Justin Turner's exact approach to be how Devers, you know, goes into every at bat because the home runs are always going to be there. And I, I just want Devers to do exactly what needs to be done. Turner's numbers. I, I don't have them up in front of me, but he's hitting, I think well over 300 with, with runners in scoring position and he just gets it done. Imagine having two of those guys on your team at this point and how much more dynamic your offense would be. So I'd like to see that from Devers and and maybe having Turner one more year. I mean, at this point, it's always fun to get a new toy. But at this point, I I think I'm kind of invested in Turner coming back. So to answer that question, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Um, Rafael Devers is... 44 for 146. He's got eight home runs. He's hitting 301 with runners in scoring position as far as that situation is concerned. 62 RBIs and 21 walks. Justin Turner is 49 for 144. Nine home runs, 76 RBIs, 
16 walks, a 340 batting average. With professional runners in, hitter. Runners in yes. scoring position. Yeah. Okay. Yes. With runners in scoring position. It's just, I mean, it's it's incredible what he's been able to do. When there's nobody on for Justin Turner, he's hitting 240. For Devers, 273. So he does a little bit more damage when there's nobody on, but there's no fear. No one's afraid to pitch to, you know, we they can walk him if they want to. There's nobody on base. They don't have to worry about a thing. Or if you do want to pitch to him, now's the opportunity because he either hits a single, a home run, or he's out. Turner can get a single, a double, a walk. He can get on base in a lot more ways, a lot more creative ways. But I, I rest my case. I leave, I leave it there. Uh, a couple of other dishonorable mentions. I put Alex Verdugo in this one, an 0 for 4 game, 0 for 1 with three walks. People could argue back and forth, but I feel like, Alex Verdugo, at least right now, has become such a huge distraction for the Boston Red Sox where he wasn't getting what he wanted. And it's just, I mean, he's a shadow of his former self. He just, he continues to just fall down the line. And his three walks in that game with Chicago, do you guys want to guess how many walks he had before that game in this month? One. Zero. Zero. Okay. Three walks in this month and all happened in that game. He's just, he's given up. I mean, he's had outside of the first game of September. And I talked about this. I don't remember if it was last week or the week before that. And, uh, you know, Cody credit you for the zero one home run, two RBIs in the first game of the month, one RBI since he's just, he's done. It just, he doesn't look like he's having fun. He doesn't look like he's in the zone. He's not focused. It just looks like he doesn't care. So to me, Dever, uh, Dever, excuse me, uh, Verdugo just seems like that guy that right now at this point, until he has like a crazy game, he's probably going to be in the honorable section for duds just because he's not trying. He's, he doesn't care. And that sucks. Um, Duvall, one for five, just a solo home run. And Sidon Rafaela, two for nine, also one RBI, a couple of singles. I mean, it, it was kind of a, a, a crushing blow as far as the week was concerned. We scored five runs. They scored six in three games. So, you know, not a lot of damage as far as the uh, the hitting was concerned. Anybody else that you guys wanted to mention? I just want to say if Duvall, Duvall wants to come back next year, you know, a, a good week might help that narrative. <laughs> He's just hasn't been great since that hot streak ended uh, probably around the first of the month. So, right. Um, Cody. Yeah, I was just going to mention, uh, I don't blame Verdugo. Uh, I think more needs to be talked about uh, this organization ruining young players and young talent. Obviously, the biggest headliner is, you know, what we did with Daniel Bard, what we're seeing with Garrett Whitlock. And I think similarly, you could say the same thing about Alex Verdugo, right? Whether it be the manager or the front office or ownership itself, we asked a lot out of him this season. We kind of, you know, tabbed him as the guy to build around to say like, Hey, we need you to set the table. We need you to be that spark. We need you to be that leader. You know, we need you to raise up to the challenge and, and be that guy. And what did we do? We turned around and put him in trade discussions and trade talks and said that we're not committed to you long-term. We're not going to do an extension with you in season. So why would he, you know, want to continue to fight and want to continue to be that player, right? Cause it's all, it's falling on, you know, uh, deaf ears for lack of better terms. And it, it's really disappointing to see the mismanagement of, of a player like this, who, was openly called out by members of this organization, raised raised his level of play. I mean, at the beginning of the season, he was on a tear like we've never seen. You know, it's it's not necessarily just like a hot streak for him because he, he was doing it for sustained periods of time. Um, you know, clutch hits, extra base hits, home runs, extra innings, you name it, great defense. And... <laughs> And how did we reward him? We're like, hey, what if we could get you know get you out of here for for some mid pitching talent or, or whatever that ended up being? You know, those those trade discussions we've never really heard about what what potential packages were, and and you know, it's just really disheartening to see a guy who embraced the city of Boston. It's not an easy place to play in. Did well, and I think was accepted by fans and kind of adored by fans because he played with his heart on his sleeve, and it's it's just a bummer. So are we? Oh, go ahead, Terry. I was just going to say with Verdugo, um, it was it, it was weird that he was on the trade block and then suddenly, you know, 12 hours later, he wasn't anymore. And I think if there's a player, and I'm speculating here, 
if there's a player that's really happy Bloom's not here, it's probably Verdugo more than anyone. And I still expect that it's more likely than not he will get traded. But I would say maybe it's 10 or 15% less likely now that Bloom's gone because, you know, new GM, new mindset. Maybe he likes Verdugo. Maybe he maybe he's willing to kind of wait it out to the the deadline next year. And then uh, another thing to consider with Verdugo, if he has a really good season, he he could be a qualifying offer candidate at the end of the season. And what that means for the casual fan is if he's given a qualifying offer, he can take a one-year deal for roughly $20 million. And if he says no, and most of them do, the Red Sox will get a comp and, uh, how do you say the word? A, a compensation pick. I was trying to find a compensatory that. pick. Co- compensatory. Yeah. Compensatory. I never would. That never would have came out of my mouth the right way. Uh, a compensatory uh, pick, which is typically in between the first and second round uh, for Verdugo. And I think for a guy like him, that's kind of valuable. You know, you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't be happy if, you had a young player walk, obviously, if it were like Tristan Casas in a handful of years. Hopefully he gets this extended well before then. But but anyway, so I think there's there's a slightly better chance he, he stays for 2024. I think it's an interesting precedent that, you know, he's kind of creating and setting. If he's not getting his way, he's just going to suck on purpose. He's just not going to care. So, I mean, that's going to be what other teams see too. Okay, cool. If we trade for this guy and he doesn't get exactly what he wants, he's going to be a head case. I mean, he's hurting himself here and that's what he doesn't realize. This is a business. I completely understand and appreciate everything he's done for Boston. He will forever be remembered as the centerpiece around the botched Mookie Betts trade. And that was going to be botched no matter how you looked at it because Mookie really said where he wanted to go. And that really screwed our franchise for, you know, several years. And there's no question about that. You know, it was was his decision, selfish, whatever you want to call it. But Alex Verdugo is hurting himself more than he realizes. If he doesn't start figuring it out mentally, get a career coach, get a psychotherapist, whatever it is that you need, but you can't just start, you know, not trying anymore because you're not getting what you want. That sets a horrible, it sends a horrible message to all other major league teams that may want someone, you know, may want somebody like that. It's just, it's dangerous. It's dangerous precedent that he's setting. Um, Yeah. Cody. Uh, Yeah. You, you kind of brought it up a little bit with Verdugo being the main centerpiece to, to the Mookie Betts trade. And that was something that I was going to ask Terry about, right? Um, as you mentioned, Terry, you know, a new front office could want to keep him, you know, 10 to 15 percent more, more likely to keep him, I think, than Bloom. I kind of view it the other way. I would have thought Bloom would have been Alex Udugo's biggest fan as, you know, one of the the bigger, I guess, faux pas or I guess polarizing moves that Bloom had was getting Verdugo. You would think that Bloom would want to give Verdugo every possible opportunity to be successful to say, hey, look, I know we were in a tough position with Mookie Betts, uh, but at least we got this guy back. Right. And, you know, whatever that ends up being. But. That's all water on the bridge. That's that's past debates, but it was just something that I thought of. You would think that he would make him a priority, and but it just nothing, nothing that we're aware of reflects that. And going all the way back to that year, you can even go back to the summer of 2019 when it still wasn't certain that Mookie was getting traded. Uh, it's it was more likely than not for me. But I was already saying several months in advance, I want Alex Verdugo in that trade package and we got him and I was okay with it. I mean, I think we all thought Jeter Downs was going to be, you know, uh, you know, a bona fide major leaguer and and that didn't happen. I think he is on the big league roster with Washington at the moment, but I don't know that his future is very bright, Uh, but you know, we all wanted a pitcher in the deal, a starting pitcher, and that never happened. And um, I, I think the that trade will always be criticized by the majority of the fan base. But but Verdugo was a guy that I wanted, and 
You know, I'm still kind of glad we got him either way. It's it's not like I'm happy we got him. I liked him. I, honestly, like Ver, Verdugo is one of the Red Sox that if I met him, I'd be totally chill. But the mindset, and I think part of it is because, you know, this is mid-upper 20s guy. He probably thinks he should be getting paid like an elite guy, like paid my dues. I've been in the league six, seven years and finally got my chance with another team because L.A. traded me away for Mookie Betts. And, you know, I thought people loved me. And how come I'm not being shown the love? For whatever reason, it's not happening. Maybe there's something we don't know behind the scenes. There very well could be, and we just don't know. It, and it, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, I was, no, no, please. I was just going to say um, the issue they had with him, you know, five or six weeks ago was he showed up way late. And that's not okay. Exactly. No, I, I get it. Yeah. No, I, I think the team handled that fine. And I, I thought Alex Verdugo handled it fine after the fact. You know, he. You know, he didn't own it specifically, but he made it a point to say, you know, he understood the situation and there's no problems and I, nothing really carried on beyond that. But but it seems like that is the problem. It's like right. it's the preparation and, you know, the accountability. Yeah. For the rules that everyone's expected to abide by. Right. Perfect. Right on. Moving into our stud section. Cody, lead us off with your stud my stud for this series was mataka yoshida i know we've kind of had him in the dud category for the past couple of shows or past couple of series just because he has been having uh i don't want to call them durability issues maybe but stamina issues right a lot of baseball longer season uh you know a lot of rollovers a second right that's that's how we know he's not going well but um a much better series you know five hits an RBI, most importantly, no strikeouts. Um, and, you know, this is a guy that's grinding, that's putting in the work for theoretically no real reason, right? We're, we're eliminated. Um, he's got a contract. He's he's set in place. He's locked in. Hopefully we don't trade him. So, like, him doing this and him proving that he's still out there fighting, scrapping, contributing to the team is, is just sheer will and determination. So... Uh, for a guy that's kind of gotten a lot of uh, maligned uh, attention from not only this podcast, but other programs as well. It's it's good to see him, you know, have a good series and bounce back. And I wanted to give him some shine. So for me, stud Masataka Yoshida. Terry. It was a good series for him. I mean, he's essentially gave you the win in game one, hit the go ahead run. Um, he's going to be an awkward fit on this team. And he just hopefully... You see a lot more consistency out of him, uh, you know, much like the guy you saw in in May and June. I think we're probably his best two months of the season if we have him. But I would love it if we traded him because you trade him, you free up eighteen million. You trade Chris Sale, and you might think that that's not likely, but look at that free agent market this winter. It's not a good one. Some team might get to January when all the guys are off the board, most of them, and say, oh, man, they might." some GM might be looking at their roster and thinking, man, we need help, and maybe Chris Sale is the guy. And if you can unload the whole thing, and I think that's much easier to do in the final year of his deal, um, then you're, you're freeing up. I think he's getting – is he getting 30? I'll have Who, to, Chris Sale next year. Yeah, I forget what it is. It's between twenty five and thirty. The Chris amount Sale is is twenty five. I thought. Let's see. I got it's, it because right, he was right paid here. fifty five. It was fifty five million, maybe twenty seven and a half. Twenty seven and a half is the yeah. There you go. So yeah, because it was fifty five million for two years. So that would be forty five and a half million. You could you could free up off the books. That gives you. Yamamoto and maybe close to half of Aaron Nola's contract by getting rid of those two. And I'm not saying it's going to happen, but we're going to spend this year and I don't want to be over the luxury tax every year. I want a roster that's streamlined and perhaps that's what Bloom was trying to do. In fact, I think it is what he was trying to do, but his just, he just couldn't tread water while he was doing that. You know, he just couldn't get the right pitchers in. And 
I think that would be a good thing to do to free up a little bit of money. You're probably going to have to sign Bayo anyway to an extension this winter if if we're being smart about things. Uh, and then Casas as well. So, but I, I don't know. But getting back to Yoshida, I mean, it was a good series for him. If we do keep him, I mean, so be it. I he I think he could have a a much better season than what he had with with the inconsistencies. He's hitting, I think, 288 now. I don't think he's got any shot uh, to get above 300 at this point. Um, his on base percentage is well under three since the All Star break. It was like I think it was like 265 on a, a recent episode last week. So um, you'd like to see that come up a little bit more consistency. I wonder if he's going to stay stateside. I would love it if like some nugget got tweeted by some of the beat writers saying, you know, he's going to stay in Florida for the whole winter. I would love that. Do I expect it? No. Should they, should he be, should the team like pressure him to do that? Absolutely not. But if he just thought on his own, that was a good idea. I think that would be great. I think that would be great because I don't want to hear. I'm done with the adjustment stuff. I, I don't want to hear about that next year. You know, he's got a season under his belt, and and um, ho- hopefully he can give you you know 145 or so games next season, and and be very consistent, and you know a a you know a pretty steady run producer. So. Masataki Yoshida is due 18 million for the next four years. Yep. 72 million dollars. Chris Sale, another 27 and a half. You're looking at 100 million there. We're not even counting the money that we're not paying some of the guys that were on our team that just blew and just did not get it done. Corey Kluber, James Paxton, there's 20 million right there. Um, I think Masataki Yoshida would need to have a better year next year, and then you might flip them at the end of 24. I don't think someone's going to take 72 million on. I really don't. I just don't. And I don't think anyone's going to take on Chris sale right now either. I think Chris sale is going to end up being a Boston Red Sox this year, uh, this upcoming year, excuse me. Um, At the end of 2024, he's got an option. It's a team option. I don't think the Red Sox are going to pick that up. So you're looking at Chris sale, maybe getting traded next year, 24 to a potential contender. If we, for whatever reason, aren't there there are more pressing contracts that are kind of alarming that the Red Sox have to deal with. So you got Trevor story who's making 25 or 24 million a year for a couple of years in 25. So that's a bit of a concern because he hasn't been able to stay healthy. He's had one of the worst years ever after coming from Colorado. So I don't really think Masataki Yoshida and Chris Sale are the, the guys we should be focusing on as far as contracts to get rid of, unless it's just guys that are, or have the ability to get traded because I mean, we have, we have a lot of, you know, dead money coming off and then we have money that's going to be completely gone after 24. If you look at what our payroll is after next season, I mean, it's, it's nothing. You're going to have open book to do whatever you want, buy whoever you want, trade for whoever you want. They're going to have the space. So I'm, I'm curious to see what they're going to do back to Yoshida for the week though. Yoshida went five for 11, a couple extra base hits. No complaints. That's what I expect you to do. I was really hoping you were going to be in the 22 to 24 home run range, 80 to 90 RBI range. That's just me. Anything else you guys want to add? Yeah. yeah. Just to clarify my sale trade, you know, scenario. And, and again, that it's very hypothetical, but if that were to play out, it's just going to be an opportunistic type of trade that just materializes later on. I don't think it's going to be at, you know, it, at the top of the next GM's list of priorities. And it might not even be on the list at all, but I I could see it happening late depending on if we've already gotten Yamamoto or Nola or just two prominent arms next year on on the, you know, free agent market or via a trade. Absolutely. Uh, Terry, why don't you hit us with your stud? Jason wants, uh, Corbin Burns, that's like his, that's on the top of his Santa Claus list. Uh, Which I am year. all for. Bring him on. <laughs> I'll do I know it. I it's called crazy for wanting him to win the Cy Young, and then he did it. So 
there's that. There has to be an extension in place before it happens. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not getting them on a rental and, and, and that's it. But my stud for the series uh, is going to be a guy who will probably never have the opportunity to be a stud ever again. And that is uh, Emmanuel Valdez. Uh, three for six on the series. Um, you know, Yoshida was five for 11. Story was actually three for eight due to game one, getting all three of his hits. But so Valdez, one of the more productive guys. The reason I want to bring him up is I, I'm, this is going to be a topic f- for a very prominent one for the next few months. But people talk about, you know, when the new GM comes in, he's going to start trading prospects right away. Bloom's precious farm system. And I don't think that necessarily has to happen. I'm going to list off a bunch of names. And this is just the trade capital you have that's already on the major league roster. Any of these guys can be traded. Uh, Verdugo, as we mentioned, uh, small chance for Yoshida. I'm not going to rule that out completely. Very low chance, but still a possibility. Bobby Dahlbeck could be in a trade package, as we said. Um, Emmanuel Valdez could be. Reese McGuire could be in a trade package if he's not a free agent. I don't know what his situation is, but he could very well be traded. Um, Willier Abreu could possibly be traded. Uh, Nick Pavetta could possibly be traded. Cutter Crawford, Josh Winkowski, Jaron Duran. All these guys could be in a trade package. And if it happens, you're probably only losing a couple of these guys. It's not going to be all of them. But if you're trying to address an issue on your roster, any of these guys could be could be dealt. And I think Valdez is one of them specifically. His his offensive numbers look pretty good throughout the minors. His major league sample size, not bad. He's a 254 hitter. I could see him being a 270, 275 hitter, you know, uh, on a given season and and being one of those guys that just, you know, drives in runs. He's got a little bit of pop too, as we've seen. So I think we've got plenty of capital here on this major league roster. I mean, just think of what, you know, perhaps Verdugo and Pavetta could do. If you're looking for a right-handed power bat, maybe maybe that's the solution. You find a team that needs a left-handed power bat. Or, well, not, well, Verdugo isn't a power bat, but, you know, a, a productive bat. And y- you, can, you can certainly address a need there. Cody. I mean, they're really kind of drained, <laughs> drained all that you can say about there. Um, I think this team is at its best and, and Brock Holt really kind of sparked this to have that utility kind of infielder guy uh, that has pop off the bench. Doesn't have to be, you know, a home run, but timely hits and, and Valdez kind of fits that that mold. Right. I think we were hoping that Alberto Mondesi was going to be that guy when he was coming in from Kansas City. Uh, that never materialized, and, and Valdez kind of stepped up into that opportunity later on in the season. Um, you know, he's he's been able to play second base, he's been able to play shortstop, third base to spell Devers as as necessary. And you know, as we kind of kind of try to elevate the floor of this team, I think he's he's a member that you know we can kind of hang a hat on, knowing that he's not going to be one of those black hole type guys, right? You know, when he's in the roster, there is an opportunity for um, you know production and and contributions. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a great stud for the series. Um, we just like to see the lineup get turned over, right? Like let's, let's just get guys on base. Let's, you know, try to move them 90 feet at a time. And, and he's something that does that puts the ball in play. Low strikeout numbers is, is all you can really hope for. I'm, I'm not going to poo poo this guy. I really hope that he does work out. Um, you know, this is someone that kind of started off his, his tenure with the Boston Red Sox in uh, April and was hitting 300 for his first couple of games. And that was pretty nice. Kind of slowed down um, in May, but was still hitting, you know, over 250 for the majority of the month and then kind of started struggling, but has since picked it back up, has had multiple two hit games. I mean, he's been more relevant than some of the guys that we're expecting to be absolute bangers. Like, 
the fact that Valdez has played in half the games but has done twice as much damage as Verdugo is mind-blowing. They don't play the same position. I completely hear you. I get it. But he's not a strikeout wart that you know Bobby D is. I'm curious to see what will happen for him in the future. He's 24 years old, so let's just give the kid a chance. Anything else you want to add, T? I just think that Valdez is going to provide a major league you know, adequate offense. I think he's going to be adequate at the major league level hitting, you know, somewhere between sixth to ninth in any order that has a need for him. He's just a defensive liability. And that's why I don't think he has a future in Boston. Fair enough. Uh, My stud for this series was Nick Pavetta. Pavetta was absolutely electric in that 1-0 loss, unfortunately. Uh, We couldn't score any runs for him, allowed three hits in seven innings, struck out seven. I know we've talked about him back and forth. Nick Pavetta is confusing and frustrating, and one week he's great, the next week he's garbage, whatever you want to say as far as starts go for him. But he's now put in three, I would like to say, quality starts. Um, He struck out 10 In five and a third against the Yankees, it wasn't a quality start. He did take the L there. Struck out six in his last appearance, going six and a third, and then strikes out seven in his most recent appearance against Chicago. So, I mean, this month has been uh, eons better than what we saw in the month of August. And in a month where very few things have gone right, Pavetta's figured it out, and he's been called upon to be both a starter and a reliever. Um, He's now pitched in more games this year than he has in any other year in major league baseball this is his eighth year seventh year excuse me in the bigs and um i'm curious to see what happens like with pavetta where he ends up is he a starter is he a reliever i genuinely don't know what is going to happen for 2024 but rest assured if Pavetta's there being that kind of spot start guy i'm not going to be completely concerned because if he can put out appearances like this i'm okay with it terry why don't you go first Pavetta is interesting and we don't really have the luxury of trading him. You wouldn't think, I don't think we could rule it out because I think Cutter Crawford is a similar guy who could serve a similar role as Pavetta can. The one thing that gives me pause about Pavetta being a possible trade bait next year is it is his final year. It's his arbitration three year uh, and his arb one year, which was 2022. He was paid six point. No, excuse me. He was paid $2.6 million. That was in 2022, 2023, this current season, he's making 5.3 million. So he got almost a $3 million raise compared to last year. So that tells you he'll probably make eight to 10 million this year, somewhere in that vicinity. And if you're looking to balance your, your payroll a little bit, I think we will go over the tax, but if you're looking to, you know, cut just a little bit, it it could be Pavetta's deal because Cutter Crawford is going to be making maybe a million bucks next year. And, and could serve a similar role. So I don't have a dog in that fight. If we have Nick Pavetta next year, fine. If he's our number five starter, fine. Hopefully he's not the number four starter because then I'm going to have concerns about the back of the rotation. But, um, but it is what it is, and he's had a pretty good second half. His strikeout per nine is, is 11.9. I think that... That is attractive in a potential trade situation. Like I said, if you are looking for a right-handed power bat or a stud reliever, I'm not really worried about the bullpen next year. Uh, I don't think that's going to be anywhere near my list of concerns. Maybe there's just a just a prospect, a pitching prospect in Double A that the front office likes. You know, you could still see a, a trade happen for a prospect, you know, in the upper levels of the minors. So again, it's just going to be in, this is another layer of what I expect to be probably 
one of the most fascinating uh, hot stove seasons in recent memory, probably since going into 2018. I really think if Nick Pavetta had had more opportunities to be a starter, this is someone that would have been a 10 to 12 game winner minimum, a 200 strikeout guy minimum, uh, someone who probably would have rocked out 255 to 160 innings minimum. I mean, the guy has been really, really good when called upon in the bullpen most of the time. And again, no reliever is going to go perfect all year long. It's just not going to happen. But I mean, he he had his little moment, for the lack of a better term, where he was upset that he wasn't getting the opportunities to be the starter. And now he's, I mean, he's paying it back. Like he's he's owning his his truth here. And uh, he's going to finish up with over 180 strikeouts. He'll have one more appearance. Um, maybe not 180, maybe close to it, 178 to 179 minimum. Um, this team has nothing left to play for. There's no worry for Pavetta. There's no pressure whatsoever. So in a no-pressure situation, he can go out there and go get his 10th win. You know, just be done with the season. To your point, though, T, he is a, a potential trade commodity someone that might want him. I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but it will remain to be uh, determined as far as that's concerned. Cody, anything you want to add to Nick Pavetta? I think he's really turned the narrative around on himself. You know, I think you guys have both touched on a lot of great points, uh, how, you know, he was somebody that had his moments. He was inconsistent. He was high. He was low. He was all over the place. Never had that consistency. Never really had um, the type of, career we thought he was potentially capable of, right? You know, he has high strikeout numbers. He is a bulldog, a competitor. Um, but he is, he, he's performed himself into being a part of this team next year. And and I don't think anybody really being disappointed or upset if he does uh, remain on that team, because I mean, we always knew that he had this upper end potential and he would do it for, you know, a month here or maybe six starts there and then kind of be mediocre the rest of the way. But he's really shown, um, a lot more sustained production and, you know, been able to stay in games, get through the lineup that third time, which is something that is eluding some of the other members of this, of this rotation. And, you know, as, as somebody that has always enjoyed watching Pavetta pitch, regardless if it's going well or not, um, you know, you can tell that he really cares and he's emotionally invested and, and that's what you want to see out of your team um, to start seeing some of the results kind of match that effort, match that intensity is, is good to see. And so, you know, if we are able to, to figure out a way to bring him back, um, in a, you know, a financially friendly situation, I'm all for it. Uh, real quick, is Pavetta worth three years, 30 million? Is that a deal you make? Because you've got some, you got some kids you want to extend here too, and you're going to sign a couple of big pitchers to to big deals. So, three thirty. It's tough because what was Waka's contract? Wasn't it like four for twenty-four? His is weird. There's it's it's opt-ins. Yeah, I can't. Right. Yeah. So here's the thing. Corey Kluber got ten million to do what he did this year. You know, ten million, not a huge ask. If he asks for three years, thirty-two million, I'd probably say yes. I'm not gonna lie. There are people that you need to extend. Yes. Chris Sale's coming off the books after next year. Done. That's 30 million that you're going to have available for other people that you need to, you, you can allocate those funds towards other people. I would be willing to say yes to 330, three for 31, three for 32. I may be alone there, but showing us what he's been able to do this year, he's been better than Hauk. Hauk's been injured. I get it. Um, he's been better than more than half of our rotation. And he's been here all year. So I, I don't know what we're going to be able to say as far as an argument to say, no, he's not worth three for 30 or three for 31, whatever. Uh, Cody or Terry, anything else you want to add? I, I just wonder if maybe Nick Pavetta thinks he's worth more than that. You know, maybe he looks at what Zach Eflin got. So I, it's just an interesting situation. I, I just, I would hate to do it and then have remorse about it. <laughs> You know, next August after, uh, you know, he doesn't follow up this year quite as good. But at the same time, I keep saying, you know, for guys like Hauk and maybe Whitlock and all of them, what's a new 
pitching coach going to do with Pavetta? Because maybe you do see improvements, uh, even more so beyond what what he's shown this year. The the one thing I'll probably never be comfortable with Pavetta is he's a head case. I, I don't I don't remember a bigger head case in Boston other than Mike Melanson or Mark Melanson rather. You know who only he didn't have a ton of height, but he looked like he was going to be a major player in 2013, and then he was gone by May or June. So uh, you, you got to go back that far as far as um, a dude being a head case. And, you know, that can be a problem at times. You're on mute, Charlie. Thank you. I think the thing you have to look at right now is when you look at 2023, your starting rotation on paper, you have Chris Sale, you have Bayo, you have Pavetta, you have Crawford and Hauk in no particular order as far as one to five. Hauk missed time this year. Cutter Crawford was not a starter all year. Brian Bayo, I think, was our only healthy starter all year, if I'm not mistaken. Chris Sale was injured, and Pavetta had been here all year in a starter reliever role. So really, you had one and a half starters for your 2023 campaign because Kluber didn't stay healthy. Paxton didn't stay healthy. Both are done for the year, are, are done. Uh, I don't even know if they're going to get another contract. I don't think Kluber's going to pitch ever again. Paxton, if he does, it'll probably be in the bullpen. Um, and so those are going to be things that, yeah, it, to your point, yeah, he might say I might be worth three for 39, three for 42, but is another team going to give him that? I don't know. I'm not sure either, but right. he's he's got one year left. It seemed like when we acquired him in at the 2020 trade deadline, it, it felt like we had him for all the time in the world, you know? You had him for four seasons beyond the the year in which we acquired him. And, you know, it, it's felt like a lifetime since then, but it, in some ways it, it feels like it's gone fast. You're like, oh, my God, just one more year, one more guaranteed year of Nick Pavetta. Right. No, I, uh, I absolutely hear you on that one. That is going to wrap it for all of us here tonight. We want to thank all of our loyal and first-time listeners. Everyone have a great night. Take care.